0: All right, so turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 9, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Hey, I want to encourage you to come on Thursdays. We're in Second Chronicles. The Old Testament is awesome, and nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. I want to encourage you to come out for that. So last week, because we had Bayamba here, we didn't really finish up the text, so I'm going to take about the first 10 minutes or so to finish up what should have been last week's message, and then we'll kick into the following one. If you'll notice on your outline, it's two-sided. So start on the Revelation 9, 1 through 12 side. We're going to pick up at verse 7, and then we will uh, go ahead and, and move on to verse 13, and I'll let you know when you can turn it over and take a look at that outline. Well, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, be glorified. I pray the man would decrease, that your spirit would increase. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said. So last week, we had a wonderful Mother's Day message <laughs> called Hell on Earth, if you weren't here, because I'm teaching through Revelation. But last week, we saw a clear picture of hell on earth. We saw that while God suffers long, He won't suffer always. We know that Revelation, the apocalypsis, is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. The things which were, we see in Revelation 1, a picture of Jesus in heaven. Chapter 2 and 3 is the church age. We see the the church, the letter to the seven churches. The church is mentioned 19 times. Beginning of chapter 4, He is called up. John is called up, or the word harpazo, but in Latin, it's rapturo, where we get the word for rapture. And then we see from chapter four forward, a heavenly view of what is about to take place. Chapter four and five, we saw what was going on in heaven during the great tribulation. What's happening in heaven? It's God's on the throne. The focal point is the throne. There's 24 elders around the throne, worshiping and praising God. And then we saw the, the, the rainbow around the throne, which is a picture of God's promise and His covenant. We get to chapter 6 forward, we're seeing that there was a scroll that no one could open, and it was the ownership papers of earth. And everybody was grieved, and Jesus comes, and He unravels that scroll, and on that scroll are seals, and then on the seventh seal, which we're now at, you're going to see trumpet and bold judgments. So we've seen the trumpet judgments already, and we're moving forward in those this morning. Now, here's the reality with all of mankind. You lie between two powerful opposing spiritual fears. Each one wants to each one wants control of your life. The enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you. He wants you dead. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children. He wants, you to, he wants to distract you from what God has called you to do. And it's a real spiritual battle that we fight every single day. Amen? And I'm challenging all of us, and I'm going to pick on the men above everybody else. God's called you to be the spiritual leader in your household. And you know what? We need to be the ones setting the tone that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And we will not allow that compromise to come. And when those battles are taking place, we're bathing our families in prayer. We need to do the same thing with our kids and our marriages. So it says in Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of God. We saw in last week's text that everybody was marked by this time. The believers were marked with a, a letter as Ta, and it's a T, it looks like a cross. And so those who had surrendered their life to the Lord and wanted to be identified with Him had literally a cross on their forehead. And then those who were identifying with the Antichrist had the mark of the beast. And we're going to see that initially there was the 144,000 that God rose up that were witnesses. And we see, we're going to see millions and millions of people get saved during the Great Tribulation. We also have the two witnesses, I believe Moses and Elijah, and they're proclaiming the truth. They get killed and laid dead in the street and raised from the dead. All these things are taking place where there's an opportunity for people, as God's righteous judgment is coming upon the earth, for them to repent. And that's the only reason He doesn't just bring their judgment in five minutes because He could. He's going to take seven years, and while it seems horrendous, it's all a picture of God's love, grace, and mercy, along with his righteous judgment. See, he is a holy God, so he must righteously judge sin, but he's a loving God, and that's why he shows us mercy and grace. Amen? And that is the God that we serve. And so, so far in this text, in uh, Revelation chapter 9, we looked at verses 1 through 6. If you have your outline, grab it, and look on that Revelation nine one through 12 side of your outline be good if I was on that chapter. Um, And so the first thing we saw is God is now going to use the demonic, allow them to be the ones who come and wreak havoc on the unbelievers. So they're going to come, he's going to open up the pit, literally the term the pit of hell, it's real. And those that have been locked up in the pit of hell, which is believed to be the worst of all the demons that fell from heaven with Satan, are going to be unleashed. And they're only going to be allowed to bring harm to those that have the mark of the beast. Now, what's interesting is earlier, it was five months, we saw in the previous chapter, where people were getting stung and bit, and they couldn't die, but they wanted to die. But now we're going to see, as they're unleashed, they're going to start dying, death's going to take place. This is a heavy duty chapter. You know what? I love the whole counsel of God. And when I re- I've been reading this chapter throughout the week, studying it for dozens of hours. And all it makes me do is just thank the Lord again and again and again and again and again that I've been forgiven and I will not have to be here for this. Amen. But at the same time, we must never lose a burden for the people that will be here if they don't get saved. So we saw that Satan opened the pit, but only after Almighty God gave him a key. Here's a reality. Satan can't do anything unless God allows it. Devil can't make you do anything. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We don't have to be afraid of Satan. I also believe we shouldn't even engage him. You hear some Christians and they're casting out this and they're talking to Satan. I'm like, you know what? They left Jesus. I'll just get him Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Let the Lord have him. You focus on the Lord. We don't need to focus on the enemy. And then we're going to see that uh, we saw last week that the Satanic, uh, Satan's demonic army is let loose upon the earth, but God controlled who they could touch and who they couldn't touch. Again, when you think of Job, remember? Consider my servant Job. And Satan said, oh, he only loves you because everything's good. He said, if you take away his stuff, he won't love you anymore. And he told Satan, you can do anything you want. You just can't kill him. And we saw that he wiped out his family and wiped out all his goods and gave him boils head to toe. And Job said, shall I praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity? He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Amen? Amen. And so we see that God will allow us to go through trials in this life, that he might be glorified and that he might mold us more into the image of his son. See, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And it tells us in James, to count on all joy when you fall into various trials, because no trials are wasted, no suffering is wasted, and God will use it for his glory if you will let him. Amen? A lot of times you're in a trial and you're mad at God. You should be praising God, recognizing that he loves you enough He's more concerned about who you become in Him than you being comfortable on this planet. Amen? He gave us a comforter because we're not supposed to be comfortable. So these demonic locusts are coming out of the ground. We saw this in last week's text. And they're coming out of the ground and they're stinging people, but they can't die. And God's going to allow men to experience hell on earth, intense heat, uh, pain, torment, suffering, and they can't escape it. They want to die and they can't. And that's a picture of what hell is like. And that's why I'll tell the message, Hell on Earth. Let's finish up this chapter quickly so we can get into uh, this, this outline. Now, notice in verse 7 to 10, Satan's demonic army is powerful, ominous, and downright scary. For believers, here's the good news. Again, Satan, if, if Satan showed up here, it, you know it would be... He's an angelic being. Every time you see angels in heaven, whenever they show up, people fall on their face. I mean, one angel killed 300,000 people in the Bible, right? So angels are powerful, but their power comes from the Lord. And if you just look at the enemy in your own strength, he's, he's you know, ominous. He's far beyond anything we could handle, but the good news is we don't have to. Now, notice what it says here in chapter 9, starting in verse 7. So the pit's been open. These beings are being let out and they're going after those who have the mark of the beast. It says in verse 7, the shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces like the faces of men. Their hair like a woman's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates, like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. In this description, John uses words like, the word like several times, because what he's looking at, he has nothing to compare it to, and he's trying to explain what these demonic beings come out of the pit of hell look like. What do they look like? Now, some have taken these things and say, well, that describes an Apache helicopter because it shoots this and it does that. And here's what I encourage you. I've said it before. When you look at the book of Revelation, when you look at anything in the Bible, assume it is literal unless it can't be. Amen? So people say, these are Apache helicopters. No, I think they're locusts that fly up out of the ground and have the faces of, right? Like it says in the text. Now, can you imagine? Now, it's going to get even gnarlier when we get to the second half of the chapter, like horses prepared for battle, well, horses were already co- were covered in armor. You know, in those days, you would, you, know, you could shoot the horse and it would take the man down. So the, they had armor on them. So these these beings coming up out of the pit of hell are covered in armor. They have crowns like gold. John's not sure what they're made of. And they may indicate that these are high-ranking demons. They had faces like faces of men. Human-like faces in these demonic locusts indicates... They're intelligent beings and not actual in- insects, but they are, again, demonic beings that look like those insects. They had hair like women's hair and teeth like lion's teeth, like women's hair, long hair with outward beauty. And how that's how evil often appears to us. Outwardly, it looks beautiful, right? Sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end, it leads to death. Satan's not going to tempt you with something that's unattractive to you because it won't work. So he's going to bring something that is going to tempt you to buy it, something that you think your flesh will enjoy, and he's going to use that to draw you away from God. And so even these beings, they're beautiful in appearance. But we also know that if you get anywhere near them, while they're outwardly attractive and enticing to our senses, but if you take the bait It will harm or even destroy you. Like lion's teeth, they're terrifyingly fierce. You know that all this could have already been taking place, but God is the one who stopped it. Amen? Do you understand that he could open that pit right now? He he could allow this anytime he wanted to. But see, again, it shows the love, the grace, and the mercy of our God. People will complain and say, why would a loving God allow the things that happen on our planet? Let me tell you, it's not the loving God's fault. It's a sinful man's fault. It's because men are wicked and perverse above all things, and there's none righteous, no not one, and left to ourselves. And the only reason that you know right from wrong is because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and he's the one that convicts you of what is right and what is wrong. Amen? But we live in a perverse and a wicked world that is filled with confusion. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. There's so much confusion in the world. Our God is a God of order. Amen? And why is it everything that's being attacked today is disorder? People don't understand what a man or a woman, men cannot give birth. Hello? Not that hard to figure that out, amen? But we live in such a world right now that what's happening is everything is being confused. Guys, our God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. And we can trust Him. And two plus two is four, even though they say that's not true anymore either. Verse 9, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, designed to protect the vital organs and preserve the life of the soldier. And this this symbolizes the demon hordes are invulnerable. So they're ready to go for the attack. They've got got nothing to fear. They're going out with vengeance. The sound of their wings is like the sound of chariots. With many horses running in battle, as they move about, they produce a loud and ominous sound. And John compares it to like the moving army. And by the way, this is, this is cakewalk before we get to the next part of the chapter. This is so ominous, but at the same time, notice it says in verse 10, they have tails like scorpions and there, there were stings in their tails. Their tails where their stingers are look like scorpion tails. So, shape of locusts, like horses prepared for battle, golden crowns, faces of men, women's hair, lion's teeth, iron breastplate, ominous sounding wings, tails like scorpions with stingers. This is actually an animal my wife would not want to adopt because <laughs> she wants to adopt everything. Some have proposed that this describes, again, something militarily, and I just think it describes beings that come up out of the ground that look just like this. See, this it comes right out of the pit of hell, and I believe they are demonic creatures, and again, hard to describe in human terms, of you know, the awesome cruelty. Their power was to hurt them for five months. Here we're, we have the sole mission, to hurt men. Again, it's so tragic to me. By the way, have you seen that demonic worship is at an all-time rise right now? You watch the Emmy Awards, you watch any... Uh, no, uh, nobody watches that anyway, but you watch this stuff... <laughs> And on it, they're literally glorifying Satan, and they're not even being shy about it. Upside-down crosses and all this other nonsense. And you know what? They're just not even being shy about it. And what does Satan want to do? Kill the very people that follow him. Even the people that follow him, he hates them. He wants to destroy them. He knows where he's going to spend eternity, and misery loves company in his case, and he wants you to spend eternity with him. But thankfully, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because of his death on the cross, we don't have to spend eternity in hell. Is this going to be a hellfire and brimstone message? Yes. I don't like hellfire and brimstone messages. You know what? I love them because I don't have to go there. And I would rather have you hear about it than experience it. Amen? By the way, if you do go to hell, you will have memory of your entire life on earth, and you'll be remembering this message. So get right with Jesus, and you won't have to worry about it. Can I get an amen to that? So this nature of this full scared demonic torment will drive people to seek death and they won't be able to die. Other results of the demonic torment we know in scripture, it talks about in Matthew 8, the maniacs in Gadara, so tormented by demons that they went insane and lived in tombs. In Matthew 4, all about the Galilee, Jesus encountered tormented people who are being tormented by the demonic in Matthew 8, a centurion servant was tormented with paralysis. In Mark 9, a demon-possessed man, boy kept throwing himself into fires and water and acts of self-destruction. There's nothing compared to the wholesale torment of the fifth trumpet judgment upon all the inhabitants of the earth who are not sealed by God. If God is for you, who can be against you? You bless God as a majority, and when you're a child of the king, nobody can touch you without his permission. Amen, and we have peace. Last point there, verse twenty and twenty-one. We're going to see there. Or, or, excuse me, verse uh, eleven and twelve. Satan's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. Look what it says in verse eleven and twelve. It Says, and they had they had a as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek. His name is Apollyon. You know what that name means? That name means destruction. What does Satan seek to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. He is the destroyer. And so his name is Apollyon. God's desire is that sinners come to repentance, that believers grow through the enemy's attacks, but Satan hates you. He wants you dead, and Jesus came that you might have life said, one woe is past. Behold, still two more wars are coming after these things. So we see that these demonic beings are let loose for this initial portion, this, this fifth trumpet. People can't die when they want to. And now we're gonna move on to the next trumpet. And as we do... It's going to be an even greater attack, and this time, now people will start dying. And as you will see, they're going to die in numbers beyond anything we've ever seen in all of human history. So turn your outline over, Revelation 9, verse 13 to 21, and I titled the message, let not your hearts be hardened. And there's words of exhortation for those who have not yet surrendered their lives to the Lord. They have hard hearts. When you give your life to Jesus, he turns your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. You go from having a heart and, you know, a heart and a heavy heart where you're just so stuck in your ways and you've, you've made up your mind and you just have a hard heart and you won't respond to the truth. But when you give your life to the Lord, your heart becomes tender and soft from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. But when your heart is heart, your heart is hard. And this is for when we talk to people about this and maybe some people in the room here that aren't saved yet. These are things that you can recognize and we will see in the chapter. When your heart is heart, you fool yourself into thinking that the time of God's righteous judgment will never come. Anybody ever tell you that? You talk about the Lord, they're like, oh, Jesus isn't coming back. That's not happening. And you know, now that on social media, especially they have all these things like evolution is true. Jesus never existed. And you're just like, "Calling me to be wise. They become as fools. Amen. Doesn't get any more foolish. But the, the thing is that people will fool themselves into thinking that the judgments there. well, he came 2000 years ago and it hasn't happened yet. As you've heard me say, a day is to 1,000 years is a 1,000 years is to a day. It's been two days. Amen? It's been 2,000 years, and righteous judgment is coming. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And while we still have time, we should be praying for personal brokenness and revival. And we need to pray. Now, look, I'll be honest with you. I'm sure I'm the only one. You're all much more spiritually mature than I am. But when you see people that are evil and vile, do you ever in the back of your mind think, just get him, Lord? Sick them, Jesus, right? You know what I mean? And when someone's really vile and even and wicked and something kind of bad happens to them, you're like, <laughs> 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 right, right, right? <laughs> Golf clap. But you know the reality is? That we shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be that way. It's not God sick him; it's God save them. Amen? That's, for the grace of God, that's all of us. Without the Lord, that would be me, that would be you. Amen? And so when we see someone, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God, amen? And when they're acting according to their sinful nature and they're not born again and they're spiritually dead then that's how they act, they need Jesus. We have Jesus and we're the ones who are supposed to share Jesus with them, amen? So Lord, give us wisdom on how to do that. Point number two, if your heart is hard, if your heart, heart is hard, but if judgment does come, you will somehow escape it. Have you ever met anybody, when you ask them where they're going to spend eternity, and this is rare, it does happen, they'll go, yeah, I'm going to hell. It's Pretty rare, right? Most people go, well, I don't believe in heaven or hell, but if there is a heaven and hell, I'm sure I'll be okay. And why do they make that proclamation? They make that proclamation because they compare themselves to the worst of all the people on the planet instead of comparing themselves to Jesus Christ. God doesn't grade on a curve; he grades at the cross, Amen. So it's what have you done with God's son? And sadly, you know, there are those have hard hearts that say, well, I don't believe there's a God, but if there is one, I'm a good person and I'll get in. Number three, even in the face of righteous judgment, you will refuse to repent. When your heart is hard, and this is something I I do more often now when I talk to people about the Lord, especially when they're being real vehement and attacking. I'll just ask this question, so I don't waste anybody's time. If I could prove to you, the Christianity is true, will you repent and surrender your life to the Lord? And you'll be amazed how many people will say, no. Even if you prove it's true, I'm not in. I don't want any part of it. Why? Because they're on the throne of their all, own life and they don't want to surrender it. And the sad part, when your heart is hard, even, you know, the proof of transformed lives, the, the scientific proof, the historical proof, the, uh, you know, the proof of just the text itself and, and how many, you know, Original manuscripts we have, and all those things that you could prove to people. That's why the Bible even says that that it's not the miracles that save people. He says a wicked and perverse generation seeks after a sign, and they did miracles, and people still walked away and didn't get saved. Jesus, you know, fed people, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he healed lame. And people would stay, and when the part when the miracles were over, they went back home. Guys, you know, what? we don't we really don't really need miracle crusades. We need to pray for sick people. We need Word of God crusades because faith comes with hearing and hearing by. See, it's God's Word that saves people. And their hearts are hard because uh, in their hard heart, they won't repent. And then finally, even in the face of righteous judgment, again, they will still, like I said, refuse to repent. And then it gives five sins of the defiance of those who refuse to repent. They, fall, they worship idols, the work of their hands, murder, sorcery, that's a word for the occult and drug use, sexual immorality, and thefts. All right, let's begin there in verse 13 on the second half of the message, looking at let your hearts not be hardened if you can fool yourself into thinking that time of God's righteous judgment will never come. It says, then the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice. So here comes the sixth trumpet. The seventh trumpet is going to be much more involved and have other parts to it. So this is, so the seal judgments, and now we're in the sixth of the trumpet judgments. And it says there, it sounded from four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. As we have seen in the Old Testament, the Old Testament tabernacle or temple is a picture of heaven. And so everything you see in the tabernacle is a picture of heaven. And one of the things that, that, two of the things that are there that had horns on them, one was the bronze altar where the sacrifices were made, and the other one is on the altar of incense where incense was lit and it would flow, it's in the holy place, and it would go into the holy of holies and it represents Jesus interceding on our behalf. So the golden altar of incense, which was a representation of the prayers of the people, incense ignited Uh, By the way, the way they had to light the incense, they had to take the coals from the altar, the bronze altar. Why is that important? Because without what Jesus did on the cross, there is no way for us to be able to pray and intercede with Almighty God. Amen? So they had to take part of the coals that came from the sacrifice of the animal that pointed to Jesus. And that's what they used to light the incense so the incense could burn and we could pray. That's why when anybody else prays that does not know the Lord, God does not hear their prayers. Why does he not hear their prayers? Because you need to pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus is the one seated at the right hand of the Father. So if you're praying to Muhammad or Joseph Smith or to the universe or the tree in your backyard or the doorknob on your, on your door or whatever that higher power is that you've picked, you might as well be shouting down a well because the only prayers that are heard by Almighty God are prayers of repentance or prayers of praying to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? He's at the right hand of the Father, and so we need to come in His name. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? We don't say in the name of Buddha. We don't say in the name of anyone else. There's no other name by which in heaven by which men must be saved. So before our prayers can be ignited, they need to be brought before the throne of God. There must be a sacrifice for our sins, and then and only then may we enter into the holy place. May our prayers rise up to God into his very presence. It says a voice from the four horns. The word voice there is one voice in Greek. It's stressing that John heard one single solitary voice while the voice was not identified. The voice coming from the golden altar, the altar of incense, which was a representation again of the prayers of the people. And it may be the voice of the Lord, the Lamb of God was pictured earlier standing near the throne when he took the seven sealed scroll from the father's hands unleashing the series of judgments upon the earth it may also be the voice of the angel who john had seen standing by the golden altar in either case the righteous judgment that's about to be poured out is being commanded by god see he suffers long but he won't suffer always there's going to come a time because he's perfect holy god that he must judge sin A lot of unbelievers, that's their favorite thing to go to. Well, what kind of God would judge me anyway? That doesn't seem fair. How about a holy God? Because you're unholy and that is fair. Amen? But people want to challenge that and they question God and they think they're smarter than God. And it's foolishness to try to think that we know better than God or know anything close to who God is. Well, identifying the source of the voice it's not possible. Its location is from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. In the tabernacle and temple, there's an altar that was a place, again, where incense was burned. In Revelation 6, a place where the martyred saints pleaded with God for vengeance on their murderers. We saw in chapter 6, Lord, when are you going to bring vengeance? They, they killed us. They slaughtered us. They, they took our lives because we served you. Lord, when are you going to bring vengeance? Revelation 8, it became an altar of judgment as an angel took a censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth, setting up the stages for the trumpet judgments. There's a clear connection between the prayers of God's people and end time events. And while the tribulation saints who were martyred prayed for righteous judgment, I believe our prayers should be focused on praising God. Amen. The first thing we should do when we pray is praise him. Can we praise him enough? What's the answer? Can we honor Him enough, worship Him enough, magnify His name enough? We just can't. And too often, we start our prayers with complaints, or we start our prayers with murmuring, or we start our prayers with doubt, or we start our prayers with questioning God. Guys, we should start our prayers with praise, because when you start your prayers with praise and you recognize who He is, it's going to change how the rest of your prayer goes. Amen? Because you begin recognizing all he has done and who he is. He's almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, all-merciful, majestic, king of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, almighty God. And you know what? He's our dad. He's our Abba. He, we've been adopted into his family. Now, after that, all the problems that we may have to pray about are nothing in comparison to who he is. Amen? It's so we need to recognize who he is, justice and judgment will come in due time While we still have time, we should be praying for personal brokenness and spiritual revival, crying out to him to pour out his love and grace and mercy on those who are still lost. Again, it's not, Lord, get them, it's, Lord, save them. And again, it's hard. When you see what's going on in the world today, when you've got parents taking their seven-year-olds in to have their bodies, you know, carved up, you just want to choke them out in Jesus' name, what are you doing? What are you doing when you see people that just want abortion until the day the baby's born and they just won't even flinch? You're a baby killer. Lord, get them. But you know what will change their behavior? Lord, save them. Because if they're saved, they won't Mutilate their kids and they won't try to kill babies right before they're born and they won't be confused about whether a man is a man and a woman is a woman. They won't be confused about marriage. They won't be confused about anything. The thing that transforms your life is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in it. Amen? From the altar associated with prayer and mercy will come words of judgment. God is a merciful, gracious, and compassionate God, yet a spirit will not strive with man forever. Nobody's going to stand before God in heaven and go, You didn't give me a chance. He's given us chance after chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity, and we're the most accountable of all people. When this trumpet judgment occurs, the time of mercy for those who its judgment will fall upon will have passed. The altar of mercy will have become an altar of judgment. Sinful men will have finally and completely rejected God's gracious offer of salvation. Verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river of Euphrates. The voice from the four horns of the altar commands that they released four angels who are bound. Now, what kind of angels are bound? Demons, right? The angels are faithful and obedient to do the Lord's will, the ones that are still angels in heaven. They don't need to be bound, but the demons do because they are seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. But now there comes a time, just like when the children of Israel were carried off into Babylonian captivity or where God would use people like Nebuchadnezzar to bring about righteous judgment upon his own people, right here, he's going to allow these people that are worshiping the demonic to have the demonic be the ones that judge their behavior and bring, again, judgment upon them. The fact that these angels are bound is a clear indication of the fact that they're demonic. And since holy angels have nowhere in Scripture said to be bound, because holy angels always perfectly carry out God's will, there's no need for Him to restrain them. And notice that God's control over demonic forces is complete. See, the devil, they can not do anything unless God allowed it. They're chained up. They're in the pit of hell. They're going to be let loose. And when they're let loose, we're going to see... The righteous judgment of God being carried out even by the demonic. The word bound there implies that these four angels were bound in the past with continuing results. They're in a state of bondage until God's determined time. That's where they are right now. They're bound right now. And they're waiting for that opportunity when they're going to be let loose. And when they're let loose, they're going to wreak havoc upon the earth. And thank you, Jesus, that we as believers will be delivered from it. Notice it says there, the great river Euphrates. You ever heard of the Euphrates before? Ever heard of it? Of course. This site of the four angels' imprisonment is familiar, rising from sources near Mount Ararat in Turkey. What do we know about Mount Ararat? Noah's Ark rested on Mount Ararat when God brought righteous judgment upon the earth and flooded the world. And then he gave us his promise in a rainbow. And to show you how Satan tries to take what is holy and use it for what is evil, now we see perversion being recognized by a rainbow. Amen? When you see a rainbow now, do you think God's prom- Now, when you see a rainbow in the sky, you think God's promise. You see it on the back of someone's car, you need to pray for their salvation. Amen? Because they have re appropriated what belonged to the Lord. It's the largest and most important river in the Middle East. It rises again from Mount Ararat. The Euphrates flows more than 1,700 miles before emptying into the Persian Gulf. It figures prom- prominently in the Old Testament. It was one of the four rivers uh, that flowed out of the Garden of Eden. Now again, is that the same Euphrates? Or did they name it that name? I don't know, but the bottom line is it has significance. It's near the Euphrates that sin began, Adam and Eve in the garden. The first lie was told by Satan, did God really say? The first murder was committed, Cain killed Abel, and it was there that the Tower of Babel was built. You guys know the story of the Tower of Babel, right? What did they decide to do? They were going to build a tower up to God, and they were going to, you know, man's efforts to reach God through man's you know, own ingenuity instead of dying to self. And what did God do? at Babel. What did he do? He confused the languages. So they couldn't communicate anymore. And they all had to go in all different directions. And that's how God did it. That's why it's called, you know, you're babbling, right? Your tower of Babeling, right? You're babbling on. You're making no sense. I don't understand you because it's there that he changed their, their languages so they would have to be separated from each other. It's a region near the Euphrates that was a central location of three world powers that opposed Israel Assyria, Babylon, and Medo Persia. It was on the banks of the Euphrates that Israel endured 70 long, bitter, wearisome years in captivity. It was It is the river over which the enemies of God will cross to engage in the battle of Armageddon, Har When we go to Israel, Har it's the most natural place for a huge battle. You can literally fit millions of people. You look down upon it from Mount Carmel, and they're going to cross over that river, that million-man army that's going to come, and they're going to be battling each other, and we're going to come back with the Lord, and they're going to turn to fire upon us and the Lord, and the Lord's going to wipe them all out. And that's the river Euphrates. It's a river over which the enemies of God will cross for the battle. And it is a place where these four bound and fallen angels reside until they are released at God's command to be instruments of his righteous judgment. Verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill, what does it say, a, th- a what? A third of mankind. Now, we know from preaches, from previous judgments, there had already been a fourth of the world's population dying a single day. Now, right now, somebody may correct me, but I think we're around 8 billion people on the planet. I think that's the number. It's close, right? So, I, let's assume, I don't know how many people are going to get raptured. I don't know that number. I hope it's a big number. And I'm, I'm afraid to think it's not. But let's just say it's a billion or a billion and a half. Now you have six billion, six and a half billion people left. Let's say it's two billion. Let's be optimistic. There's six billion left. Then a fourth of the world's population dies in a single day. So that's another one and a half billion people die. And now a third of what's left of the population is going to die in a single day. That's another one and a half to two billion people are going to die when these angels, when these demonic beings get let loose. They're going to, right now we We are are losing our minds over X number of people dying because of COVID. Can you imagine one and a half to two billion people being wiped off the face of the earth in a single day? That following up another billion or so that had already been taken out, following up the one one to two billion people that were raptured. The world's going to be losing its mind. It's going to have no answers. Like I said, I would love to watch the news and they would spin it somehow. They would try. They would try. The hour and day and the month and the year. I love that. That, that. You know what that means? God's in control. Amen? That's why when we're so panicked about, and again, we should be good stewards of the earth, but people are panicked about, well, we're, we're speeding up the clock on the earth, and you know, it's going to go up one-tenth of one degree in the next 200 years. We don't just, just set everything on fire and quit using anything electronic. So stupid. You don't need to worry about the clock because God is already on the clock, and God's timing is perfect, and we should be good stewards of the earth, but we don't worship it. We need to fear God and not fear climate change. Can I get amen to that? He knows the day. He knows the hour, and in it, we see not only the sovereignty of God, is He in complete and total control. He's not just an interested observer. He is fully invested and involved. And guys, if he let go of this, the universe for, half, for one one-hundredth of a second, it would all crash. Amen? He holds the world in the span of his hand. I have people say, I have Christians they are well-meaning, like, well, God had nothing to do with that earthquake. You're stupid. <laughs> nothing happens without God's permission. Are you telling me earthquake, oh, I, God was asleep? He missed it? Guys, I hate I'm being so direct, but it frustrates me when people think that things happen by random chance. There is no random chance. It is, it is the sovereignty of Almighty God. Amen? And so when you know that God's in control and you know that God is part of it, and yes, earthquakes and tornadoes and, and fires and some of that can bring harm to man. But again, God knew it was coming and God allowed it, but often it's because of man's own sinfulness that it takes place. Amen? Is not said stupid. It's not a good thing. Forgive your pastor. We released, we're released to kill a third of mankind. As these demonic forces are released from their bondage, they set out no doubt imagining they are doing the work of their leader, Satan. That they're thwarting God's purposes. That's what they think they're doing. But they will actually be God's servants doing exactly what the Lord wants them to do. This is not the same kind of some kind of satanic plot at work. God has prepared these angels is in control. They're unleashed judgment upon the earth and again Satan can't do anything without God's permission. The demonic glosses described earlier in the chapter were restricted to tormenting mankind, but these four angels have the authority to kill people in mass. Now, again, some of you may struggle with this. This doesn't seem right. Well, it doesn't surprise me that they're coming out of the ground right where, where Noah's flood took place, because that was righteous judgment of God as well. Amen? And in Noah's day, he gave him 120 years to repent. Amen? Noah built that boat for 120 years, and he evangelized to the people, and they said they wanted no part of it. And now God has giving opportunities today. Nobody's going to endure this without an opportunity to have given their life to the Lord. So again, there will be well over a billion people bringing the total uh, to roughly half of the world's post-rapture population will be gone, and we're still got a lot more of revelation to go. The staggering total of death does not include those who perished in the other seal or trumpet judgments. After the church is raptured, we can't know for sure, again, how many people will be left, but my prayer is... And at the heart of every believer on this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Amen. Amen. Get right with the Lord. Get right or get left. Amen. We don't want to do that. Get right or get left. Pray or stay. Turn or burn. Fly or fry. What are you going to do? Amen. The terrible slaughter will completely disrupt human society. The problem of can you imagine burying three billion bodies? Where do you put them? By the way, there's 120-pound hailstones falling from the sky. Mountains have already been moved. All this stuff that's taking place, the world is going to be a wreck. And thankfully, we won't be here. Can't imagine what the smell of billions of decaying corpses sounds like. The enormous uh, uh, effort on part of the survivors to try to dispose of them. More significantly, how will the survivors cope emotionally and spiritually? We'll address that at the end of the chapter. So point number one. When our hearts become hard, we fool ourselves into thinking that the time of God's righteous judgment will never come. But the reality is God's time, God's clock was set before the foundation of the world and no one's going to stop it. All you can do is be prepared for it. Amen. Live every day in light of eternity. Point number two, that if his judgment does come, we will somehow escape it. Look at verse 16. Now the number of the army of horsemen, now check this out. That's not a typo. The number of the army of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them. The slaughter of well over a billion people who require an unimaginably powerful force. John reports here the number of the armies of the horsemen was two hundred million. That's you know that's like two thirds of the population of the United States. And when we see what these horsemen look like, it's going to be scary for those who don't know the Lord. Some debate over whether this is a human army or a demonic army. To me, it's pretty clearly a demonic army. Really depends on whether you look at the army's description literally or symbolically. We're going to look at it. He said, I heard the numbers. Some believe that this means that John was told how many there were as he looked upon this vast armies. Other believe that he's speaking of the noise made by such a mass. How, how much noise to 200 Million soldiers, and when you see what they're equipped with, make when they're marching. And he saw it, and he heard it, and he's in a heavenly perspective, and he's seeing it happening upon the earth. Either way, we know that the number is 200 million because the Bible says so, amen? Verse 17, and thus I saw the horses in the vision who set on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So 200 million soldiers riding on horses, and these horses have the heads of lions, and they breathe fire, smoke, and brimstone. One of those would make me run. <laughs> 200 million of those. Lord help. Amen? Amen. Some believe that he's doing the best he can just to describe this, some type of military weapon. I don't think so. Again, as a fire in the smoke and coming from the mouths of horses, lion-shaped heads, many will try to use that as a, some kind of a military weapon. But again, to me, I always take it as literal unless it can't be. Could there be horses with faces of lions? What's the answer? God can do that. Can I get any better? I just... Again, either way, it's something you don't want to deal with. And I believe this is an army of demonic beings, not unlike the locusts from the fifth trumpet of judgment. And the riders with fiery red and, and dark blue and black like smoke and sulfur yellow, the color of brimstone, the rock when ignited produces a burning flame and suffocating gas. See, all of that, think about all this is taking place, intense heat and fire and smoke, and there's no escape. I mean, didn't that sound like hell? And it literally is going to be like hell on earth. These are the very colors and features of hell. They paint a horrifying picture of God's wrath being poured out upon the sinful world. And while it's divine judgment, it's the demons who are destroying the very people that chose to follow them. I can almost imagine someone say, well, I sold my soul to you. Why are you killing me? Well, that was a bad move. You sold your soul to me so you could get rich or you could be famous. And well, now it's time to pay up. Guys, what God... God Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus came, you might have life and life more abundant. Do you want abundant life in him, or do you want to owe your life to the one who hates you and wants to destroy you? Again, the horses, their heads were like lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. It's clear that they are not actual horses, the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. So what it means is it's this animal that looks like a horse, but it's got a lion's head. You know it's crazy? Somebody in my church, I don't know if I have it. I may have left it at home. Somebody in my church did a drawing of what they thought this might look like, and I had it in my notes. No, I don't have it. But uh, I thought, wow, it's pretty gnarly. And uh, it's clear that, you know, Satan, ro- Bible says that Satan roams about like a roaring what? Seeking may devour. Does it surprise you that these horse-like animals have the faces of a lion? Now, notice what it says about the rest of the animal. Look at verse 17. Uh, And thus, I saw the horses, and then verse 18, By three plagues, a third of mankind was killed, and by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths for their power is in the mouth and in the tails for their tails are like serpents having heads with them. They do harm. So the head of it is a lion and the tail is a serpent. Serpents that bite and and lions that breathe smoke. Who is the serpent in garden of Eden? And Satan is a roaring lion seeking who may devour. Do you think any of this is by chance? This is just a demonic animal that is out, 200 million of them wreaking havoc on the world's population. And as I said, one and a half to two billion people are going to die in a single day. You know what you could do during all of that? I mean, it's too late for some of them. They've been seared over. But again, praise God that in the midst of this, if people were, had not taken the mark of the beast yet, they could repent and be saved. But again, sadly, at this point, most people have made up their mind. It's too late. Guys, it's not too late now. Amen? It's not too late now. This is why I have a sense of urgency that we cannot walk around and be timid about our faith. We can't be fainting in the day of adversity because our strength is small. We need to be able to stand up and do it lovingly and kindly, but what does the enemy want to do? He wants to shut you up. And they've done, they've removed, you know, they removed Bible out of schools. They removed Bible out of the city square. People moan and complain when there's a cross on the hillside and spend millions of dollars to get it taken down because the cross of a Christ is a stone of offense and it brings conviction. But you know what? They can take all that down, but they can't shut us up. Amen. And again, in a loving and a kind, con- we don't have to have, stand on a, a box with a blowhorn and say, you're going to fry if you don't get saved. probably not real effective, okay? But here's the thing, but we can love people enough and pray for divine appointments and speak into people's lives in a loving and a kind way and be a Christ-like example that shows them that they need Jesus, amen? And God's Word doesn't return void. When you're sharing with people, don't share your opinions, share the Word of God, amen? So the heads of horses, these demon forces like lions, fiercely and relentlessly stack up and slaughter other victims. And again, these three plagues, a third of mankind dies. And he notes the three ways the demon horses kill their victims all of which are pictures of devastating violence and the fury of hell. They incinerated them with fire. They asphyxiated them with smoke and brimstone. And if that description he was given were not frightening enough, John sees more about these deadly, the deadly power of these demons when in verse 19, in addition to heads of fire and smoke, these demons have serpents for tails, and these are serpents are venomous. Satan is a roaring lion, and he's the serpent in the garden. And these images describe the supernatural deadliness of this demon force in terms that are commonly understood in the natural realm. Unlike the scorpion stings inflicted previously that only hurt, the bites of the snake and the fire of the, coming out of the mouths of the lion killed people. And it was too late. I got a call this morning. I got a call yesterday and I followed up this morning. A lady who knew my son, Mark, who's now in heaven, called me up and said, I didn't know who to call. Um, she said, I'm not married to him anymore, but my ex-husband, who's the father of my children, I just got a call that he's in Las Vegas and they found him and he overdosed on fentanyl and he's brain dead. And she said, I don't know what to do. So she went there and met the family there. And she called me this morning and said, can you pray that God will comfort us? We don't know who to call. And so while I was doing the outline for the message this morning, I was on the phone with her for 20 minutes. And I was praying for the people in that room who, because for the man who died, it's too late. His, his eternity is settled one way or the other. I'm not, I'm not saying I know where he is because I don't know him. But it's settled. But the people in that room, it's not settled yet. Amen. And for every one of us, if you've given your life to the Lord, then your eternity is settled. You know where you're going, right? It's not a hope so, it's a no so. We don't hope we're going to heaven. We know we are. Amen. When I meet people and say, You're going to heaven, they say, I hope so. I'm like, Oh, bro. That's a tough life to live. Can you imagine living every day hoping you're going to go to heaven? I'd be petrified all the time. That's why you walk around guilty all the while I better go, Oh, I better go to church, so even off the bar. I'm actually glad we're not on a scale trying to do enough good stuff that, man. Guys, on, by the way, on Saturday mornings, we're going through why grace changes everything every other Saturday. I encourage you to come if you haven't been coming. And just talking about God's grace. See, guys, we're not saved by good works. We're saved by God's grace. And we're not saved because we're worthy. We're saved because we're unworthy. And Jesus was willing to take our place and suffer and die that we might have eternal life. Amen? And because of his grace, we can have peace. And we can know where we're headed. So if judgment... Some people believe the judgment does come, they'll somehow escape. Does it sound like anybody's escaping from this? Are we watching what's been happening here? Any place to hide? There's nowhere to hide. You're not getting away. Judgment's coming. Last point. Even in the face of righteous judgment, if you have a hard heart, you'll refuse to repent. Look what it says there in verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Now, doesn't your head want to explode right there? Three to four billion people are dead. All this righteous judgment coming upon the earth, and people still don't repent. They still don't go, I think we're on the wrong side. <laughs> Let's get on team God. Can I get an amen to that? But they continue to shake their fists at God. More shocking than 200 million fire-breathing horses with lion's heads and serpent tails... More shocking than the locusts with lion's teeth and scorpion tails coming out of the bottomless pit is the fact that even after all that they've seen and experienced, even after witnessing the death of a third of the world's population in the most catastrophic disaster to strike earth since the flood, yet an amazing display of hardness of heart, they do not repent. And it doesn't say they could not. It says they choose not. It doesn't say they could not. It says they could have, but they chose not to. You know what keeps us from repenting? Here's the number one word, pride. Pride. I don't need God. Yes, you do. Amen? If you don't think you need God, get over yourself. Amen? We need God. He doesn't need us. Amazing in the light they've been through, put yourself in their shoes. And let me just go through this real quickly again as we're about to close. In less than seven years, here's what you've seen. So if you're you're in the tribulation, here's what you've seen so far. And we're, we're about halfway through, a little more than halfway through. Watch. All the Christians disappeared. That would be earth-shattering. I saw a guy did this on, on a video It was sent to me the other day. He literally went into his house and laid out the clothes of all of his kids and laid out his clothes by the barbecue out front, and, and his wife came home, and she thought they had been raptured, and she got left. <laughs> she was crying to the Lord. Lord, oh, no! I went to church this morning, and she's crying. I'm like, wow. That's going to really happen. That's going to really happen. There's going to be people that think they're saved, and and people are going to be gone. All the Christians disappear, all the related consequences. When when Christians disappear, I don't know if this is true. I've heard this. I've heard that there are airlines that don't allow the pilot and the co-pilot to both be Christians because they're afraid if there's a rapture, the plane will crash. I don't know if that's true or not, but that would be really cool, actually, I think. I think. But when it happens, do you think there might be some car wrecks? you think there might be planes falling out of the sky? there, you think you know, the Holy Spirit conviction is going to be gone? The, so there's going to be an economic collapse, the rise of the Antichrist, war, famine, a third of the world's population destroyed by the sword, sword famine, disease, and wild beasts, and there's going to be earthquakes worse than any in human history. The sun will turn black. The moon will turn red. The stars will be falling, uh, falling to earth. The sky will be rolled up. Every mountain and island will be moved out of its place. People will be hiding in caves among the rocks in the mountains, hiding from God. Good luck with that. There will be an army of 144,000 Jewish evangelists, hail and fire falling from the sky, burning up to a third of the earth and its trees and all the green grass, meteorites or asteroids thrown into the sea, a third of the sea becoming blood, a third of all the fish in the sea life dying, a third of all the ships destroyed, a great star from heaven burning like a torch, a third of all the fresh water being turned bitter. Many died from drinking this poisonous water. The sun, the moon, the stars will be darkened, tides and crops and temperatures will go through the roof, demonic locusts tormenting the world's population for five months, men seeking death and they cannot find it, and now having just survived the attack of 200 million demonic uh, p- d- a demonic army, surrounded by disaster area filled with dead bodies and they still don't repent. It's unimaginable. would think one of those things would get people repenting. But here's the proof again. It's not disaster that causes people to repent. It's the Word of God. Amen. Amen? It's not miracles. God can use them. But ultimately, it's the Word of God. Amen? And we're going to perverse generation seeks after a sign. It's unimaginable that after years of suffering and death, under terrifying judgment from God, coupled with the preaching of the gospel by the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and two witnesses and the angel in the sky and other believers as survivors still refuse to repent. And it's frustrating. Isn't it frustrating when you have people you love that no matter what you share with them, they refuse to repent. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? But guys, we can't save them. Only God can, amen? Like those who rejected Jesus despite seeing his miracles and hearing his powerful preaching, having failed to heed the warnings of the Bible. It says in Hebrews 4, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, their hearts are so hard, there's nothing you can do to convince them. They're gonna take this to eternity. And that's why we wanna see people say before we get there, amen? What did they not repent of? Let's finish with this, look at the last verse. Here's some things that people hold on to instead of repenting. And there's nothing new under the sun. It's a couple minutes. Look what it says. Verse 21. Verse 20. It says that It said, But the rest of mankind who were not killed with plagues did not repent. It says, They should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor talk. And they do not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality, and of their theft. So here they are quickly, the five things that people won't repent from. Number one is idolatry. It's something that you create that you now worship. That's what an idol is. And it could even be, you know, your idol could be your career, your idol could be your house, your your idol could be your bank account, it could be stuff. It's something that you've helped create that you now make more important in your relationship with God. And there are people that are so caught up in that they don't take time for the Lord, they don't surrender their life to the Lord, and they choose that over the Lord. Secondly, murders. Last days, believers of true and living God are prime target of those under God's judgment, and they're going to seek revenge for the disasters that God brings upon the earth. They're going to go after those who don't have the mark of the beast. Today, those who love violence, something they won't give up and turn away from. By the way, let me clue something else to you on murder. And again, I'm just going to shoot straight because I love you guys. Abortion is murder. Murder flat out murder. And if you're here today and you think you're a Christian and you believe that abortion's okay, you need to repent. Amen? Pastor Dave, you don't have to be so direct. Yes, we do. Somebody's got to stand up for the unborn children. Amen? Somebody's got to stand up and say, no, that's wrong. That's sinful. That can't happen anymore. This needs to stop. Amen? But he's saying that they will choose murder over Jesus. Isn't that what happens when you're choosing abortion over Jesus? Amen? It's tragic. I've had Christians tell me, "Well, you know, I think you got not No, sorry, no." Thirdly, sorceries. The word there's pharmakia. What is pharmakia? Pharmaceuticals. Sorcery here speaks both of the demonic, but it also speaks of drugs. Do. I mean, 130,000 people in the United States died of fentanyl overdose last year. That doesn't count what happens with people who have drinking problems or any other drug. Guys, it's a, it's a tool the enemy uses to destroy. Amen? And there are people that won't give up their drugs for Jesus. Now look, I know there are people that love Jesus and you struggle with depression and maybe you struggle with stuff. I get it. And God knows. But the Lord, you need to ask the Lord to help deliver you from that. But the point is, There are people that say, I just, I love my drugs more I want, I don't want that. I want, I want the drugs. I don't want Jesus. Then notice that the fourth thing there, sexual immorality, the word there is pornea, where we get the word pornography. It speaks of pornography, fornication, homosexuality, and rape. They're not going to give up their sexuality for the Lord. Does that sound like we're living in those days right now? people identify who they are. You know what I identify as? A child of the king, a Christian, a man of God, only by his grace. Amen? If you want to identify me, that's who I am. Before I'm a father, a husband, and a man. Before I'm a pastor, before I'm anything else, I'm a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And we got a world today that they identify as some terminology that doesn't make any sense. I'm non-binary. What are you talking about? Where are you at with Jesus? Amen? And it's choosing the sexuality. I will die for my homosexuality. I will die for my fornication. I will die for my pornography. I will die for my adultery. Guys, those are all things that need to be repented of. Amen? God created physical intimacy, and it's good. But it's good in marriage between one man and one woman. Can I get an amen to that? And what God creates that is good can also be taken, abused, and used for what is bad. You've heard me say it, that physical intimacy to me when I was a youth pastor, I equated it with fire. Fire in the fireplace warms the house, and you can cook your meal. Fire in the drapes burns the house down. <laughs> Amen? So the things that God created that are good can be taken and abused and become sinful. Amen? And then the final thing he says here is thefts. You're like, wow, that's pretty mellow on that list. But here's the reality. Honesty will be non-existent, especially in those days when everybody's starving. People are going to just rob each other blind. But again, if you turn on the news tonight, what are the first two stories might be? There's going to be some kind of a protest about non-binary transgender rainbow coalition, and then the next one's going to be a bunch of people looting a Target store. Am I not right? And they're just running out with all the stuff. Does that not sound like theft? Does that not sound like the things that are happening during the time when the Lord comes back, when the judgment of God comes upon the earth? Amen? There's nothing new under the sun. Really glad I came to church today. This is so uplifting. <laughs> That's why we teach the whole council of God. You're never gonna get. You're never gonna come here and have me blow sunshine at you. It's not happening. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. God's so incredibly blessed that you're on His side. What would He do without you? That ain't never gonna happen here. It's not gonna happen. Because. He doesn't need us, we need Him. And we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. But again, while we were out sinners, Christ died for us. We serve a wonderful God. Look, why do we teach this if we're not going to have to face it? Because we know people who are. And because we need to be warned of it before we find ourselves in that place. May today be the day of salvation. Amen? So harden not your hearts. When your heart is hard, you fool yourself into thinking that the time of God's righteous judgment will never come, that if his judgment does come, you'll somehow escape it. And even in the face of righteous judgment, if you have a hard heart, you won't repent. I'm going to give you a chance right now. If the worship team will come on up, let's open one word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you. And as we read your word, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the apocalypsis. Lord, we know of your love and your grace and your mercy because we've all experienced it. But Lord, we are learning of your righteous judgment because you are a holy and a perfect God who suffers long. We make the mistake of thinking that we can just continue in our sin and judgment will never come. But Lord, as we've learned it tonight in this morning's text, righteous judgment is coming. And God, you're not righteous if you don't judge sin. And Lord, we know in eternity, you won't have sin in your presence because you are holy and just. And yet we were all sinners, but that's why you died so we could have eternal life. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father in heaven. My prayer this entire week has been, Lord, if anybody is there on Sunday that doesn't know you, Lord, please soften their hearts and may they respond to the gospel. I'm not trying to ask you to join a church or or win an argument. But if the Holy Spirit has pierced your heart and you recognize, you know what? I've never fully surrendered my life. Maybe you've gone to church a long time, but have you fully surrendered your life to the Lord? Again, the word repent means to turn around. You're living a life now where something other than the Lord is the priority and the passion of your life and you recognize it's time for me to surrender, repent means I'm going to change my mind and change my heart and change direction and turn around and surrender my life to the Lord. Again, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you're here today, you've never fully surrendered your life to the Lord and you are ready to make him not just your Savior, but the Lord of your life, I want you to raise your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all, anybody at all, don't leave here without him. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We thank you that though righteous judgment is coming, you took judgment for our sins on the cross of Calvary. We've been redeemed and we've been forgiven. We cannot wait to see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.